0: We need to keep that going. Turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Still here, turning. <laughs> Ashley Smith believes in God's providence. You see, Mrs. Smith is the woman who was taken captive in her home by Brian Nichols way back in 2005 after he killed two people in an Atlanta courthouse. You might remember that story. Many were surprised that Brian Nichols gave himself up without a fight to the police, and I I believe it was due to Ashley Smith and the way she handled the entire situation. She told Nichols that it was no accident that he took her captive. It appears that she believed that God was providentially in control of her life, even though her husband had died four years earlier from a stabbing. She still believed in God's goodness and his plan for her in that terrible situation. And instead of hating her captor, she ministered to him, seeing her circumstances from God's perspective instead of her own limited perspective. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. This message was given to the people of Judah after an invasion and after they were taken captive in Babylon. This was a message of hope given to a people that had no hope. How do you think Judah reacted? In 586 B.C. when Babylon came in and destroyed God's temple. Did they look at this event from God's perspective or from their own limited perspective? I'll never forget my professor describing that event. He said, Husbands saw their wives assaulted, mothers saw their children killed, fathers watched as their sons and daughters were taken off never to be seen again can you imagine being there it was like Daniel remember Daniel was taken at about 17 years old taken away from his family never to see his family again judah must have thought that God had totally rejected them or that the Babylonian gods had defeated Yahweh. A proud, sinful people had been humbled so that they would listen and respond to their God. Listen again to what Jeremiah 29, says, and the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is God has a sovereign plan for our lives. This is the Word of God, 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. The Hebrew in this passage is in the emphatic. God is saying it like this, I myself know the plans I have for you. These things are not happening to you by chance. It's not by blind fate, But I, the Lord, am fulfilling these specific plans for you. Do not think that it's the gods of the Babylonians who caused this. I have planned these things, and I am planning a future for you. In fact, The way he says this is, it's continual plans. It's, I am planning. So he doesn't just start a plan and then sit back and watch it happen. He starts the plan, and then he is intimately and highly involved with the plans for his people. And as one writer put it, he said this, Never has there been, and never will there be, a thoughtless action of God's part towards me and you. Did you hear that? Let me, let me read that again. Never has there been and never will there be a thoughtless action of God's part towards me and you. About 24 years ago, I came home from seminary. It was on a Wednesday afternoon, about right after lunch. I'd gone to class where I was going to class in Orlando, and I lived in Melbourne, Florida, about 100 miles. So I would go there on Monday, spend a night, a couple nights, and then come back on Wednesday after taking my classes. So I got back that afternoon, Wednesday, and as, as I pulled up, I noticed Denise's car was in the driveway. Now, she's a teacher, you all know that. And it was lunchtime, and they don't get a much of a lunch break, well, about 15 minutes. Um, so I was walking up the driveway thinking, she must be sick. And then a thought flew through my mind real quick. <gasps> what if somebody broke in the house and, and did something to Denise, you know? And then I said, nah, right? Just push that out of the way. Walked around her car, started walking up the sidewalk towards the door, the front door of our house, and it had a big black mark in the middle of the door. The whole front of the door was caved in, and it was kicked in. And so all those thoughts, those you know, quick little thoughts came rushing back to my mind, and I started running up the sidewalk, opening the door, and there's Denise standing talking to a neighbor. And I'm like, Right? She looks at me and says, we, you know, we had a burglar break in. And he got um, my jewelry, all my jewelry. Not mine, hers. She was saying, (laughs) mine, you know, who cares. Uh, He got my my jewelry, she said, an expensive bottle of perfume. And guess what? Thieves are music critics. You know what he took? My guitar. Can you believe that? And although we lost some stuff, we were blessed because nobody was harmed and they only got a few things. And then we found out even further that our neighbor was telling us what happened is so cool, providentially cool. Because when that person kicked the door in, later on we found out it was a junior high student that was at home. Um, After he kicked the door in, and he got into the house, the UPS man pulled up into our driveway, and he had a package um, with our address on it, but with our neighbor's name on it. They got the wrong address, but it was the right address for that day because the UPS man started walking up our sidewalk, noticed the door was kicked in, went back to his truck. They didn't have cell phones in those days. You know, those dark ages. He went to our neighbor, found out our phone number, called our home and said I am calling the police and on the message machine that went all over the house and the burglar left and you know what we know that happened because the closet door in our third bedroom was open and all my guns were sitting there not one of them was touched that was a lot a lot of stuff could have been taken so we were blessed God protected us but what God taught me in that was that I was not in control of my life. You know, and he's still teaching me that. Uh, It's a long lesson. I think everybody takes a lifetime to learn that one. But just, just as Israel had Babylon break in and disturb their secure world, so my thieves had destroyed mine. And I had to learn, because I knew I was going back to seminary in Orlando, And having to leave Denise by herself. And I had to trust that God was going to protect her. No matter what. You know, in trials it's good to know that God is in control. But it's also good to know that God has good plans for our lives. Good plans for our lives. Notice the second part of verse 11. It says this. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope the Hebrew word here for welfare is shalom which usually is used for peace but it can be used for welfare well-being or wholeness one writer states this God's plan for every one of us is for our shalom our well-being There are no exceptions among God's children. You cannot be an exception, and you never will be. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, that's that's a great quote, Mark, but what about the Judeans? You know, what about the invasion? What about going through captivity? You know, that, that wasn't fun. Well, when I was younger, and my kids were younger, um, they both had, and I can't remember which one had a stronger proclivity, but they both had a proclivity towards electrical sockets. They were drawn towards them. And, I, you know, you think about it, they're about that tall when they're a toddler, so that's the thing they see everywhere, electrical sockets. Well, they were drawn to these things to go stick their finger in them, Right? And every time they went towards the electrical socket, um, Denise and I would come up and we'd say, no, no, right? Warn them. And then slap the back of their hand. And they'd cry, you know, and and it wasn't fun to do. And then they'd walk away and they'd learn. And then an hour later, they'd go back towards the electrical socket, right? And we'd repeat the same thing. Sometimes, though, after they had learned their lesson, I remember one of them would go up to the electrical socket and look around. Right? Yeah, looking around. Knowing the rule, and in fact, knowing the rule, and then saying, I'm going to cross the line. And then we'd come back and slap the wrist. And you know, you think about it. We gave them warning after warning after warning, right? And, and we disciplined them. And God did the same thing for Judah warning after warning with the prophets, telling them, Babylon is coming if you don't repent. Um, Why did we do that to our children? It was for their present welfare and future shalom. It was to keep them from getting a permanent afro or a permanent, you know, hair standing up straight in the air, right, from sticking their finger in a socket. But in the future, it was to transfer their obedience from us to God. That was their future shalom. God did the same thing for Judah by allowing them to go into captivity so they would see their sin and repent and turn back to God. Let's look at another example of God's discipline. Turn with me to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Verses 5 through 11 says this My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Just as we disciplined our children out of love, God does the same thing for us. And in this passage, it says, Sometimes it can be severe. Notice it says scourges. That's a, um, a word that the Jews use for um, floggings with a, a whip. God disciplines us according to our sin. And if it's great like Judas was, so was the discipline. But he is always, always long-suffering. He is always long-suffering with us giving us time to repent and one writer says this about God's discipline if Christ has borne whatever our sins deserved and by doing so has satisfied God's justice to the full then God cannot in justice punish us for sin for that would require the full payment from Christ and yet demand part of it from us God does not chastise us as a means of satisfaction for sin, but for rebuke and caution to bring us to mourn for sin committed and to beware of the like. It must always be remembered that although Christ has borne the punishment of sin and although God has forgiven the saints for their sins, yet God may fatherly correct his people for sin. There's a story in the book that we're studying in the upper room at 1110. Joe's teaching today. If you want to be there, it's a great book. Holiness by Grace by Brian Chapel. He has a story in there about a little boy going to the doctor with his mom, about five years old. And he's sick. He's really sick. And the doctor says, I need to give you a shot. And the mom looks at the little boy says, it won't hurt. It's okay. It won't hurt. And the doctor's thinking, it's going to hurt. So what he does is he says, this is going to hurt, but I am not out to harm you. And that's what I think of when I look at this passage in Hebrews. Yes, discipline hurts. It says it's, it's sorrowful. It's not fun. But it produces the fruit Of righteousness, right? It produces, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And look at another thing. It says, notice it says in uh, verse 7, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, then you are illegitimate children. You're not sons. So think about that. If you're going through discipline, that's an assurance Of your faith that's a good thing you're his you're going to heaven now if you're not without discipline if you don't have discipline in your life you've never been disciplined if you don't see sin in your life usually that's that's what happens you don't have any problems your Christian life you look around at everybody and you go why does everybody struggle this Christian life is easy I don't I don't see any sin in my life I don't have any discipline problem if, if you're like that, then you need to ask yourself, Am I truly a son? Am I truly a daughter of God? That's what Hebrews is saying. And sometimes God sends us trials, not as discipline, not as discipline at all. But many times it can be for our sanctification and also even for our protection I had a friend in seminary his name was Tyler he had a little toddler and uh, they lived on the second floor second floor apartment and this apartment had a patio and one day the little toddler I don't know how she did it but somehow the sliding glass door must have been left open and she got the door open she crawled out on the patio went through the railing, and fell 10 feet below onto the cement. Well, they rushed her to the hospital, did a CAT scan, found out she was fine from the fall, which is amazing, right? But you know what else they found out on the CAT scan? That she had a tumor on her brain, and they had to do surgery, and it saved the girl's life. Amazing. That wasn't discipline. That was a trial for the parents. But it was also a way of protecting this little girl's life. Amazing grace. Well, not only does God have good plans for our life, but the third thing that he has is God has hopeful plans for our life. Go back to Jeremiah 29. Let's look at um, verses 11 through 14. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Look at verse 10, it says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back. To this place. You know, no matter what pain Israel had to go through in this exile, they could go through it knowing that God had given them a future hope of restoration. Because without hope, it is hard to go through present pain. Let me read you a quote from Chapel's book. He talks about the Christian life being like a boxing match. And he he says this, Even when we, like some of the young Olympic boxers, have taken a blow to the chin due to our own mistakes and pride, God never turns his back on us. When we have boxed with sin, failed, and fallen, God is still for us. He does not wait for us to lift ourselves off the mat before encouraging us. God shouts from our corner, Get up, child. Yes, you forgot what I told you, but I am still here for you. Were God to walk away when we went down, leaving us alone and ashamed, then we would have no reason to get up again. But our God promises in Hebrews 13, 5, never to forsake or leave us. His encouragement lifts us from the paralysis that our own guilt would impose, and He makes us the vital warriors He desires for kingdom battles. He gives us hope even in the midst of pain. Now some of you may be wondering, Why am I preaching this sermon on Palm Sunday? Um, What does this have to do with Palm Sunday? Well, I believe it has a lot to do with this day. Because from the very beginning of time, God has had a plan for us, his people. And it's a plan for our welfare and our future Shalom. The stage was set and our redemption was near when Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day. The crowds yelled out just as the children sang, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then within less than a week, this fickled group of people, as we are fickled, started yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. How did Jesus face that final trial? Well, Hebrews 12, 2 through 3 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. How do we not grow weary? and lose heart when we're facing a trial or when we're facing discipline? How do we not grow weary and lose heart? Well, it says fixing our eyes upon Jesus. The author, the one who started our faith, the one who perfects our faith. In fact, um, it's, the word is perseverance of the saints. And R.C. Sproul changed that word. He wanted to use preservation of the saints instead of perseverance. How do we not lose heart? I believe it's like running a race. If you've ever run a a 100-yard dash or a 50-yard dash, the only way that you're going to win the race is not by looking down at your feet. It's not by looking at your side to the guys who are competing against you to the left or the right it's by keeping your eyes on the finish line it's by fixing your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith and you know if Jesus would have only seen the father's plan from just an earthly perspective and I know he wasn't limited to that but if he only saw it that way he would have only seen failure Satan was about to have a glorious victory over the Son of God Judas was going to betray him his people were going to turn their back on him he would be falsely accused he would be tortured by the Romans he finally would hang on a tree and be a cursed man his disciples would run and hide with shame And fear. This plan that appears like a failure from man's perspective is a glorious success from God's vantage point. God's plan through Christ ultimately was for our welfare, for our shalom, and it was all accomplished on the cross. His death produced our forgiveness, and His life produced our righteousness. And we need to realize that God's sovereign plan for us, no matter what, always will include discipline, as we saw in, in Hebrews 12, and trials. But we can rejoice in these, knowing that they help us grow closer to our God, and give us a hope for the future of being with Christ in glory one day. One man who had this hope was Horatio Spafford. And he was a wealthy lawyer who had a practice in Chicago in the 1800s. He was a Christian, he was active in his church, and he was a friend of D.L. Moody's. Spafford bought some, had some large investments of real estate along Lake Michigan, and a few months after he bought them, during the Chicago fire of 1871, he lost all of those holdings, lost everything. And then months before that, he lost his son. His son died. So he was overwhelmed with the trials of life, and so he decided to go on a vacation to get a break. And he he took his wife and his four girls. He bought a ticket for them to go on a ship to uh, Europe, and they were going to meet with D.L. Moody, who was doing an evangelistic campaign in Europe. And so they start this trip, and and he gets a call, and he found finds out he can't go, so he has to stay back. And his wife goes ahead with his four daughters, and they board the SS Villa du Havre. And on November 22nd, this ship was struck by the Lockhearn, another English vessel, and sank in 12 minutes. Spafford gets a cable from his wife, and it said, Saved Alone. And shortly afterwards, Spafford left by ship to join his wife in Europe. And on the way over at the place where his daughters had supposedly drowned in this certain place, he wrote these words, When sorrows like sea billows roll. And you all know the rest of the story, because this man, Horatio Spafford, wrote the hymn, It is well with my soul. And in the first verse, he shows his grief and his trust in God who is in control. And in verses 3 and 4, he reveals the hope that helped him go through the present pain. I love the words. Listen to this. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like seas billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, he buffets all of us. Though trial should come, lest this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss, oh, the glorious thought, my sin not in part. But the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And the fourth verse, And Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you, as our loving Father, are in control of everything. And even when you allow trials to come into our lives, even when you allow for discipline in our lives, you're doing that out of love for us. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to not look around at our circumstances. Help us not to get fooled and to start doubting your love for us. Help us to continually focus on the cross. Help us continually to focus on the gospel and help us to find all of our hope there. Father, thank you for the grace that you give us each day. And the forgiveness of sins that you give us daily. Father, we praise you for all of this. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.